Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Good morning. You know, this weekend is an especially powerful time with the conjunction of Juneteenth, Father's Day, and the summer solstice, all manifesting in this Daibosatsu mandala. So it's a time of celebration, reflection, appreciation, and resolve. Today is Father's Day. Some of you are fathers and you know what a blessing and a challenge that is. Delighting in your children, trying to guide and protect them, seeking to free yourselves from old resentments based on what you may have experienced in perhaps some entrenched and authoritarian ideas about fatherhood. And now understanding how difficult it must have been for your fathers. Through the practice of attention, even in the midst of chaos, attuning yourselves to the always shifting middle way between appropriate structure and creative flexibility. Some of you have fathers who have been suffering from illness and old age. And I know a few people who are not here at this meeting this morning because they are being with their fathers 
during the COVID quarantine, it was heartrending not to be able to hold each other. But all along, doing your best to be present on a screen or through a window or on the phone. And now, at last, this morning, celebrating in person. It's been a long time since Andy and I were able to see our son and daughter-in-law. But Jesse called this morning and they're planning to come to Daibusatsu Zendo for Obon, which is a time of profound gratitude for the guidance given to us by our deceased loved ones and to affirm the precious relationships we have with each other knowing how fleeting our lives are. I want to acknowledge to the fathers who weren't able to be in our lives. Some may have left due to unresolvable family issues. Or personal demons of one sort or another. Others may be kept from us by prison bars. And for quite a few of us, our fathers have passed away. I have only one memory of my own father who was killed in combat just before the end of World War II. But I didn't know it was my father in that memory. Just this. I'm being held very high above an endless expanse of water. I'm being carried into it. There is no fear, just awe, wonder, 
And behind us, there's a huge flat structure with many shapes and colors. It was a vivid experience and it has remained with me. I can still see and feel the vastness of that expanse, the nearness of the sky and that strange two-dimensional solidity of that structure. A few years later, I asked my mother about that experience. She told me it was my father who was carrying me into the surf. And she said the structure was a billboard on the beach. It was the summer of 1944. I was eight or nine months old. She and I had been staying at my grandmother's country place in Kayamisha Lake in the Catskills. And my father had called her to tell her he was going to be shipped out. And he said he would come up from where he was stationed near Washington, DC and drive us to a relative's house there and try to find some time to be with us. So it was, we had an hour or so together on that beach, being held, not knowing my father as a separated individuality. And that not knowing encompassed the sea, the sky, the sand, even the billboard. That time and today. never forgetting. Yesterday, June 19th was Juneteenth.
Now we may remember being taught that on January 1st, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, paving the way for the permanent abolition of slavery in the United States. In February, 1865, two months before his assassination, Lincoln called emancipation the central act of my administration and the great event of the 19th century. But we are probably, most of us were not taught something truly appalling. Thousands of enslaved men and women in Confederate states were kept from the knowledge of their emancipation. It wasn't until June 19, 1865, months after the Civil War had ended, And two and a half years after the proclamation, that soldiers arrived in Galveston, Texas, bringing the news that slavery had been abolished. The last of those in bondage, 250,000 people in Texas were finally freed. The rejoicing that day has been repeated annually in black communities, even when it has had to be surreptitious because of the dangers in a country still poisoned by white supremacy. In recent years, Juneteenth has become a nationwide out front celebration. And just this week, 156 years later, a bill was passed by Congress and signed by President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris.
establishing Juneteenth as a national holiday, a national Independence Day, a national day of freedom. Just recently, I learned about Syracuse's role in the early fight for civil rights. Historian and educator Kate Masur wrote, abolishing slavery would not on its own lead to justice or even basic fairness for free Black Americans. In October 1964, excuse me, in a <laughs> a century earlier, in October 1864, just before President Abraham Lincoln was elected to a second term, a large group of Black activists met in Syracuse, New York. Many had been writing, speaking, and working for racial justice for decades. Most were from the free states, but a handful made the trip from slave states like Tennessee, Virginia, and Florida. The vote, the delegates insisted, was quote, the keystone in the arch of human liberty, without which the whole may at any moment fall to the ground. The Syracuse meeting resulted in the formation of a National Equal Rights League to demand recognition of Black Americans' rights as citizens of the United States. We have to know our history and all of these points that have been overlooked. Who knew? Syracuse, where I am speaking from today, was so important at that moment. But another hundred years went by before the Civil Rights Act of 1964 finally outlawed discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. Required equal access to public places and employment. Enforced desegregation of schools and mandated the right to vote. Yet we know very well that racial injustice has continued 
housing discrimination, economic inequality, inadequate health care and education. Where do you live? What's the color of your skin? And voting rights, the keystone, are again under attack. You know, each of us is responsible for working to end systems of oppression. First, we have to be willing to see them. We cannot be lulled into a state of ignorance, misunderstanding our practice as mere detachment from suffering. Experiencing oneness. We can respond to each unique being and circumstance with insight and with discernment comes compassion and the courage to act. Beings are numberless. Circumstances are constantly changing. And we are called upon again and again to answer the call requires the subtle and profound practice of attention. Pure, lucid, attending to this moment, this time, dropping away all our personal views and agendas and opinions so that action flows naturally from the open heart, the clear mirror mind. Tonight, at 11.39 Eastern Time, is the official moment of the summer solstice, when Earth's northern hemisphere is closest to the sun. The moon is waxing toward fullness. This evening, 
Let's sit outside. Even if you are in the city, find a place, a bench, a park, a terrace. Let's experience the sounds of the insects, the light from the moon and the stars, the clouds moving in, perhaps a thunderstorm, some fireworks, and renew our vow to save all beings at this time of intensifying climate crisis. Like the Buddhist story of the little bird who carried water drop by drop in its beak and on its wings to put out a raging fire. Each of us is called to respond to the circumstances in which we live. Yes, from the fundamental perspective, Everything is a manifestation of Buddha's teachings. Everything is perfect as it is. How could it be otherwise? And yet, we live within the mandala of absolute and relative. We cannot ignore suffering and the causes of suffering. It's within causation, not in some transcendental illusory place arrived at through spiritual bypassing that we realize true freedom. Some of you may remember my speaking about the indigenous leader, Tom Porter, on his way to the Parliament of World Religions four years ago, wondering what he should say. Suddenly he heard the voice of Mother Earth. Humans have been destroying me. They have made it very difficult for me to continue supporting them. Tell them, stop driving your cars at least on the solstice. He told us. But few heeded that advice. 
Then Mother Earth gave us the global pandemic. Which necessitated a year long pause, but not long enough. And there are at last many worldwide initiatives to respond to climate change, but not soon enough. But like that little bird, we don't have the luxury of waiting for others to act. Father's Day, Juneteenth, Summer Solstice, and Mandala Day coincide to remind us that our vow is to extinguish the fires of greed, anger, and ignorance in ourselves and to know there is no gap between self and other. Yamamoto Genpo Roshi, about whom I spoke at spring summer session earlier this month, once said that case 14 of the Mumon Khan, Nansen kills the cat is the most compassionate koan because when you awaken to its truth, you cannot waste even a drop of water. Using a single drop of water wastefully is the same as killing, he said. It's so easy to lapse into cluelessness, isn't it? While the Southwest is enduring a long drought, and the conditions for a summer of horrific fires. In the Northeast and the Great Lakes states, we may take water for granted. We turn on the faucet and out comes. For most of us, potable water, unless we live in Flint or in farming states where 
runoff has contaminated the water or fracking areas where water is exploding with toxicity. But we are here to awaken no matter what to how precious and transitory every single manifestation is. And to know that how we live our own lives affects every life. So delving into this great matter, sitting with utter diligence, walking the eightfold path, we don't waste a drop. We don't waste a moment. We raise the sword of Manjushri, cutting through delusions, cutting into one. We invoke Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of compassion, we become Kanzeon. Bowing in gratitude to our fathers, to Mother Earth, to the beautiful communities around us and all their variation. the great mandala of all living things and all beings, past, present, and future. We offer ourselves as vessels of the Dharma. We are the Buddha's and bodhisattvas in this mandala. Therefore, it's the most natural thing to seek ways to help. Personal, spiritual, political, educational, communal. We may not always know what to do our ideas about what the outcome should be often get in the way. So we sit, we wait until that inner churning and confusion 
and muddying of the waters calms down. And then what is needed presents itself. And the purpose of our lives presents itself. Our engagement must come from the intertwining of sight and compassion. That's the way we affirm the urgency of practicing with all our might, just as that tiny bird continued, wetting its wings and flying back to the flames again and again until the god Indra was so moved that he created a great rainfall, ending the fires. That time around. However endless the Buddha's way is, we vow to follow it. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.